0: Level up your LA Kings experience with the new Vivid Seats Elite Seats. All the on-ice Kings action with even more exclusive access. Enjoy great seats to the game along with premier dining inside the Lexus Club with all-you-can-eat food and non-alcoholic beverages. Plus, get a free Team LA Kings item and parking with your purchase. Score your Vivid Seats Elite Seats tickets today and earn rewards on each purchase from the only ticket company that rewards you for buying. Experience it live with Vivid Seats, the official partner of the LA Kings. You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings
1: program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. We move forward with uh, relieving Todd of his head coaching duties. Um, In the meantime, uh, Jim Hiller uh, was moved to interim for for the remainder of the season to take over and to guide this team. Uh, This was done in an effort to correct the way we have played of late, our offense, our defense, our overall game. Uh, Individuals and
0: the team have not been up to a level of our desired uh, needs. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. Apologies for the delayed release of this Monday's episode. Ordinarily, I like to get them out at 5 a.m., but we didn't want to record something ...without hearing from Rob Blake today. So, Zach Dooley and I sat down immediately following the media availability on Monday. We'll have another episode later in the week once new uh, interim coach Jim Hiller has had a chance to talk to the media. And obviously we'll bring you episodes covering any additional developments. Full disclosure, after we recorded this episode, uh, I went home and started seeing rumors about an assistant coach hire for the LA Kings. As of the moment I'm recording and editing this, excuse me, there has been no official statement, although... I find the reports and rumors to be totally credible, but I got to go off of what's official. So we'll probably have, uh, well, I know we'll definitely have at least one more episode this week, perhaps two, uh, maybe even three. We'll see. And of course, I have to remind you that you can listen to replays of King's Talk, the LA Kings postgame radio show hosted by me on the LA Kings Insider Audio podcast feed. And you can keep up with the Ontario Rain on the Rain Check podcast feed, the official podcast of the Ontario Rain. And just to throw it out there, I know a lot of you are listening to uh, the Kings Talk um, replays because I can see the numbers. I can see exactly how many of you are downloading them, and I want to thank every single one of you. But uh, pregame, on the radio, and postgame. Postgame is more of just a free for all, my thoughts on what just happened. A lot of calls. I've been getting a ton of calls. I appreciate every single one of them. But if you want to hear a lot of quotes from practices, hear what the coaching staff, the players are saying, a lot of those quotes go into the pregame show. And, uh, I, in the past, have published those back when it was an hour long. I sort of stopped now that it's a half an hour, but I may start doing it again. If you want me to, just reach out let me know. I'm perfectly happy to do it. Anyway, uh, all that and more at LAKings.com slash podcast. Here is me and Zach Dooley reacting to the Rob Blake press conference on uh, Monday, February 5th. All right, Zach Dooley joining me in our Partially refurbished new studio. It's a work in progress, so if uh, you can smell paint fumes coming through the podcast or uh, or hear the air conditioner Or if opologies. we cut out about 20 minutes in <laughs> yeah, that's right. due to paint fume death. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's the explanation. This would be the way we'd both want to go. But uh, we weren't anticipating needing to use this space as quickly as we did. We are recording, uh, I don't have my phone out, but I want to say maybe 20 minutes after the... Yeah, if that. Yeah. Um, yeah, about... 15 minutes, 20 minutes following Rob Blake speaking to the media today, uh, addressing, releasing Todd McClellan from his contract, uh, naming Jim Hiller the interim coach for the remainder of the season. Um, Zach, I felt that the mood, before we get to the details, I thought the mood was appropriately somber from both sides, but also there was an edge to the proceedings that I didn't anticipate, but probably should have. I think I did anticipate the edge. Um, I mean, the mood is somber because no
1: one wanted it to come to this, right? Like the Kings, how they were built. It was not meant to be at this point where they even had to think about this being a decision. And if you said this 20 games ago, you'd be laughing because things were going so well that how could you possibly imagine this team in a scenario where they had to, or were even considering relieving the coach of his duties. And then you lose 14 of 17, and suddenly the narrative drastically changes. Um, I think it was a hard day and a hard few days for Rob Blake. He did not want to let Todd McClellan go. But as he put it, I think summed it up best. It's a wins and losses driven business. From this point on, the Kings will be judged on wins and losses because that's the situation they have put themselves in. And that was ultimately what prompted the change over the weekend was wins and losses. And I think the mood was what it was because I think everyone in the room realized that it never should have gotten to the point that it did. But
0: here we are. There was – there's two things I kind of want to address. One is in – I want to say like November. Early in the season, the home record was bad. Yeah. And the road record was phenomenal. Yeah. And Todd was asked, Todd McClellan, former head coach of the LA Kings, uh, was asked about it a number of times. And early in the season, it was easy to dismiss. Right. Because it was like a 500 record at home. But they, I think it was like five games blank 0 0 on the road, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it was like, I think they were like, I don't know, maybe 2 2 and 3 at home or something. Yeah. And you go, look. Oh, they got points and yeah, yeah. points in three. And, you know, they came back against Carolina and they had a bunch of weird situations where they were on the road in game one in back to backs and then at home in game two. So like, I think one of them, they came home from Pittsburgh and then played Vegas or something like that. Yep. So you go like, ah, whatever. But at some point in the season, Todd McClellan had a moment where he was just like, yeah, I don't know what it is. And then we're worried about it. Yeah, or Maybe he didn't say worried, but he acknowledged that it was yeah. a concern and that there wasn't an answer for it. To me, that's. Part of this conversation. There's no through line that'll happen. And you can look at the overall record. I mean, Rob Blake referenced it today, right? They're still a playoff team. They're 23-15-9 yep. or whatever it is. Um, but as Dennis Bernstein asked in the press conference, you know, you're a playoff team, but you're not playing like a playoff team. Right. And I don't think the Kings ever played like a playoff team at home this year. So I don't know how much that... I just wanted to throw that out there. I mean, the the point
1: is is good because... You can't look at what's going on with the Kings right now and say, that's it. There's no DiCaprio meme pointing at it, right? Right. There's nothing, no one thing that if you changed it, it would fix all of the issues. Because if it was, it would have just been done right now. Mm -hmm. Because Rob Blake said the offense, the defense, and the goaltending all needs to improve. That's the whole game, right? The only thing that's been consistently good is the penalty kill, which has still been like the best in the league. The power play has actually also gotten a lot better over this stretch. But overall, every aspect of the game, if you look at the first 24 games to the last 24 games has drastically dropped. Um, I think it was you who pointed the, to the Columbus game as the ultimate downswing. I don't know where the 24, 24 split lines up, but if you look at it through your lens, there's some validity to it of that game was kind of where things shook. It was the first two months and it was the most recent two months and things have been drastically different. So I think your point of, you can't just look at what's going on and say, Oh, here's the clear issue because you, you, It's just bigger than that right now, right? It's not just personnel. It's not just the team's not scoring. It's not that they're giving up too much. It's not that special teams are off. It's not that the goalies aren't making enough saves. It's a combination of everything, and that is what makes it harder to fix.
0: When this season started, I said and believed that if everything went perfectly, this team was a Stanley Cup contender. Mm -hmm. I also said at the beginning of the season, there's never been a season in the history of the league where everything went perfectly. So it's fine and good to say, you know, listen, on, on my best day, I'm a, you know, I'm a potential Olympic decathlete. Like, well, I'm not anymore. But when I was in my 20s, but you have to do it. And one of the things I find fascinating is the other thing I kind of wanted to reference is. and And I days like this are particularly tough when it comes to reconciling this fact in sports and in most things. There's a difference between lying and selectively telling the truth. Mm -hmm. Like when Rob Blake said, we have no plans to fire Todd McClellan on January 18th. You and I both believe that he meant it on that day. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. Right. Because less than two weeks later, he did. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he has said repeatedly, Jim Hiller is the coach for the rest of the season. Well, if Scotty Bowman... Is Scotty Bowman still with us? I'm not sure, but either <laughs> right. way, I don't think if, he's an if option. Toe Blake, if Toe Blake appeared from beyond the grave and said, I will coach your team for no pay, like, well then things change. So you have this, you have this, you know, this long press conference today where all these statements were made, and I believe that in the moment they're true. But, you know, at, at Rob Blake was repeatedly asked about what will happen when the trade deadline rolls around. And he very correctly said, like, I don't want to speculate, because who knows what could happen between now and then. So good for him for not. <laughs> but it's like when he was asked about the positional <clears throat> futures of Pierre-Luc
1: Dubois, about Quentin Byfield. Byfield. Yeah. Like, yeah, today it's one thing. But what if Andre Kopitar and Phil Deneau both get sick and right. miss two games? Is he a center then? Yeah, probably. Like, that yeah. you have to take things as they come. You can't just, you know, in the moment, it's one thing. But, you know, after that press conference, it was the morning of the Nashville loss at home. It went Nashville loss. Rangers win, San Jose lost Buffalo. So we now look back knowing, okay, each of these points, is this one it was, is this one it was. And, you know, Rob Blake said after that road trip, which was right before the Nashville game, before his availability, they got together and determined, well, obviously the team performance is not adequate right now. It has to get better. So at the time, I I believed him, and I still do believe that at the time that was the thought process. I don't think that they thought a coaching change was coming, Um, but then the next seven games played out one by one, collectively, however you want to view it. And the performance overall and the way that the games were being played didn't improve the way that I think everyone hoped it would and would not have brought us to this point.
0: I said to you this morning before all this happened, I didn't think they were going to do it at all. Um, I don't know why. I, yeah. don't, I didn't have any particular reason for believing that. I just, I don't know. I just didn't think they would. Um, there was a moment earlier in the season when Edmondson lost to San Jose. And there was a shot of Woodcroft and yep. I forget his assistant. Dave Manson. And they were walking across the ice and some lip reading yep. uh, individual said that they, I think it was like, well, I guess that's it or something like yep. that. Um, I don't know. I mean, Rob Blake denied that the Buffalo and San Jose losses had anything specifically to do with the decision. But after the Buffalo loss and the circus that followed, um, I don't think that Rob Blake made any decisions based on media members attacking each other or fans attacking each other or media members attacking fans or fans attacking media members or drew dowdy's comments or anything like that but i think that once management coaches players media fans are all up in arms and dissatisfied i think you can take that as a sign that something has gone catastrophically wrong
1: from the sounds of today, I think that the recognition was there before that. Yeah. And to be honest, if, if any decisions are being made based off of the reactions of media or fans, then the people oh, making I don't think should they should be fired. Yeah, no, no, Because that would be a disastrous decision. Sure. <clears throat> um, with how emotions change hour to hour, it seems. Um, but I, I think that the acknowledgement that, I mean, they had lost however many in a row, right? Like, it was obvious that things weren't where they needed to be before that. Mm-hmm. After that, I think it was spelled out, um, and one thing I thought that was interesting was his comments on player-to-player feedback being the most likely to drive change. Like, this is a guy who is in the Hall of Fame as a player, so he knows that if he spoke up in the room when he was that player that Drew Doughty is, that that was a way that maybe he, maybe he lived it, right? Either on the receiving end or the giving end, I don't know, I'm not enough familiar with that, but it was clear that he took note of what Dowdy was saying, saying like, I've been in this situation before as a player. Um, And it was interesting. I I think clearly there, that stretch was obviously when it happened, right? Because that game seemed to be the worst loss of the group. But that being said, I don't think it was unsalvageable at that point. What if the Kings ripped off three going into the break, right? Yeah. What if it all day? Um, But I think it's telling that the decision was made when it was. Because there was an easy out point if that was when it was.
0: So I've gotten a lot of phone calls on King's Talk um, for the last month um, after every loss. And the question always goes some something along the lines of, when is it time to hit the panic button? Mm-hmm. Is it time to hit the panic button? Right. You know, When should we start panicking? And my response has always been, and will con- I presumably continue to be, like, I don't believe in panic buttons, because if you're hitting the panic button, it's already way You've already, too late. You're already, exactly. And that, to me, was the Buffalo game. Yeah. Whereas, like, I don't think they did everything because of the Buffalo game. Yeah. I think the Buffalo game was just ripping away the shroud and just saying, like, look, whatever has happened, it's...
1: Metaphorical it's, panic buttons are, like, your last-ditch <laughs> yeah. effort, right? Because things have already gotten to
0: a, and a point. I, and I, I, this is neither here nor there, but it's something I've been thinking a lot about. I hear a lot of people referencing the 2011-2012 season and saying, well, they fired Terry Murray and things went great. And I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer here, but we have a much more recent example to draw from of a season where the Kings fired their coach and it didn't go great. Right. <laughs> it went catastrophically bad. Yep. Um. So not saying that, that, that one or the other will happen, just saying like this cherry picking past positive. Yep totally experiences and assuming that like oh well that's how it happens and everyone says well 2019 the St. Louis Blues and it's like right but since that season there have been plenty of coaches fired i think there's been like four this year
1: i mean there's been four this year so yeah. they can't all win the cup right? <laughs> right
0: um i think that jim hiller is his own man i don't think
1: we can expect jim hiller to come in and rattle off seven in a row if jim hiller loses to the edmonton oilers on saturday we can't immediately say well he didn't turn it around we have to give him a little bit of time because no matter how easy it is to do in a video game or in our heads you can't just take five months of learning and mental ingrainment and thought process and for many of these guys it's not five months it's years of doing it one way and immediately say no guys we're now going to just do it this way perfectly like it doesn't work right like you can't just change every single thing in two practices before a game going into a road trip, and say, oh, no, we're just going to change it up right now and it's all going to be better. It like it just doesn't work that way in real life. So I think we have to give this current iteration of the team with Jim Hiller as the head coach, with perhaps a new assistant coach, with the existing staff in place, and give them time to change what they feel that they can change in the moment, give individuals time to process what just happened and see how it impacts them individually because you always see it, right? Some guys will probably go up. Some guys might go down. But we have to let that play out, and I think that before we know, well, whether this was positive or negative, we have to see what happens, and I don't think we can be too reactive right away as someone who's a first-time NHL head coach with a lot of coaching experience works his way through it and tries to guide this
0: team back to where it can be. There were a lot of questions directly asked about Jim Hiller. There were a lot of questions that weren't necessarily about Jim Hiller that got Jim Hiller answers. But I wish we had – I wish NHL press conferences were a, a more um, – I don't even know what the word I'm looking for is. I wish we could have dug deeper. Like there's no way to do it. But when Rob Blake said, "Jim, you know, what's the difference between Jim Hiller and Todd McClellan? And he said he's a different person. The meetings will be different. The one-on-one meetings will be different. The deployment might be different because Jim Hiller will have whatever he thinks. You know, his opinions will be different. His approach will be different. So its I'd be very curious to see, and most of it we won't see because we don't get to sit in on the one-on-one meetings and all mm-hmm. that stuff. But I'd just be really curious to know how different it is because Jim Miller's been there for a year and a half at this point. Yep, the so Players know him. He yep. knows them. There's not going to be a meeting where he calls him just choosing a name randomly. But he's not going to bring Adrian Kempe into a meeting and say, well, Adrian, how come your shooting's off? And Adrian's going to be like, well, my dog ate my homework. Like He's not going <laughs> to fall for that. He knows these guys. Um, and that was the other thing that that Blake said, right? Like, he's his own man. Yeah. He has his own approach,
1: but he does know the team. There's no getting up to speed process there. Um, but I also think it's different when you're the assistant, and it's different when you're the big dog. Mm-hmm. It's different. You can't have the same approach. Uh, but one thing I've noticed about Jim Hiller from what we do get to see is an attention to detail during practices – where he knows he can't work on the power play every day, he can't work on his own you know, forwards-based systems every day, but he can pull individual pieces of the power play, individual situations during a game, pull the three players they impact, and work on it for five minutes after practice. And he does it every single day. If you watch how Jim Hiller specifically operates during a practice, after they do the formal team-wide part, he targets specific players and specific situations and puts those players into it as best he can in a practice setting. And that's the one thing I've been able to pick up on is his attention to detail and his willingness to work on smaller aspects of the game because he sees how those small aspects factor into the team play. So I, I think as a, as a head coach, it's going to be different because he's now more responsible for the team as a whole. He has to kind of lead a group of men in a different way than he did as an assistant. But it's one of those things where, yeah, like you, I want to see how he's different in all those ways. But we won't know how he's different until he does it. And, and
0: we may not even know – like we may be watching it and not know it hundred percent.
1: And we might have, you know, it's, it's going to come down to what questions are being asked in the room. It's like, Hey, Adrian Campe, How was Jim's. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not fair really to ask how, how is he different than Todd, but you can ask how does Jim approach these situations and how, and you can kind of piece it together that way based on what he is saying, what the players are saying, and hopefully ultimately how it impacts things on the ice.
0: There's a, I don't know if it's a board game, but a tabletop game for kids, um, I think it's called Who's That? You get like a hundred faces, and you've got one. Guess who? Yeah, guess yeah. who? That's it. That's what it's called. I feel like we'll be doing Guess Who, on what kind of coach Jim Hiller is, and we'll just be observing little things. So, like, if for whatever reason the lineup changes, you know, if a player is moved off of power play two back to power play one, mm-hmm. or if someone is moved from wing to center, or if two guys that haven't played together suddenly start playing together, yeah. we'll start seeing little things, and we'll be like, oh. Interesting. That may be something that he either maybe he did disagree with Todd McClellan about or maybe agreed with him at the moment. But, you know, yeah. it's it's uh, belt tightening time and we got to pick up some wins here. So it's going to be an interesting process. There was a fan. And apologies for not remembering which one who introduced into a conversation I was reading the idea that Todd McClellan had said publicly that the coaching staff didn't always necessarily agree a hundred percent on deployment. I didn't remember that. It feels like the sort of thing I would have caught. I think he did. Yeah. And it's natural, right?
1: Like sure. it's, it's hard. The coaching staff is five guys. Yeah. So if all five are saying the same thing every single day, you almost wonder if some people are saying it just to say it. So I, I would a hundred percent believe, and I, I know for a fact that is the case, yeah. you know, whether it's personnel in the lineup or whether it's who is playing with who on a given night, especially when you're losing or especially when the the moments get crunched, maybe going into a playoff series, you have 20 skaters who have a a claim to play. You can only dress 18. Not everyone's going to have the exact same thoughts. Um, But I do know for a fact that the Kings under McClellan, very collaborative with their coaching staff, everyone had a voice, but at the end of the day, they do have to pick. And if you're the head coach, you have to make the decision based on the feedback you get um, that you feel is best.
0: And if they do bring in another assistant coach, as Rob Blake implied they might
1: seems to seems to be like when not if right yeah it seems like the number one priority right now probably sooner than later it seems to be it seems like there there's some uh, wheels in motion on that
0: but if you're a part of a five person voting group and the loudest vote leaves and you become the loudest vote and then you get to replace your softest vote yeah that's a that's a pretty strong uh, uh swing to getting what you you know what I mean if if Jim Hiller had any particular disagreements. Mm -hmm. Um, I imagine we'll see them um, played out. Uh, That brings us to the topic of goaltending. And, you know, Rob Lake included it in the list of things that need to improve. Um, Earlier in the season, Todd McClellan addressed it by saying, you know, when he was asked uh, before Phoenix Copley got hurt, you know, are you going to go with a – I want to back up a second here. Um, In game three or game two – it went Talbot, then Copley. Yep. And Todd McClellan said, even if Talbot had put up a 70 save uh, shutout in game one, Copley was going in for yep. game two. Then we went rattled off a stretch where Talbot was the starter for 85, 90% of yeah. the games
1: for a while.
0: Yeah, which was unexpected. Mm-hmm. And Cam Talbot himself said at the start of the season he didn't anticipate playing that much. Todd McClellan referenced the fact that the way the schedule broke for the Kings the first two months of the season gave them loads of time off between games. There were stretches of three days off, four days off, and he I think was, even into December, yeah. it was
1: very, very favorable. We felt it right, yeah. like the way that we felt last month versus the first couple of months, like the the, the schedule shifted. Um, but I, I, I think that yeah, I think that's spot on.
0: So as Talbot's season has. Um, Uh, stopped being as impressive as it was earlier david riddick has come in and had i don't know f- five out of 11 games where he was excellent yeah i think he's i mean i, I think he he hasn't played 11 but i think he's was played, it not 11 9 i think he's played like yeah like
1: seven or eight and i think he's yeah. been pretty darn good in six
0: of them yeah and, and i mean the most recent one being against nashville where you could argue he won that game you know he and Alex Turco. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I think he was really good um, in that game. So that's another question where we'll just find out what Jim Hiller's approach to goaltending is. And we like, I don't know that Jim Hiller's even ever thought about it. Cause he hasn't been a head coach since juniors, which was a while ago. So I don't think he's had to worry about goaltender rotations. That's like just another. And to aspect. be honest, I don't think he still has to
1: all that much. I mean, it'll probably fall to a, you know Mike Buckley. Yeah. He's working with those guys every day, right? He knows, has a feel I think for for who's ready to go, um, or who maybe needs to go. So yeah. I, I think that's one where you probably rely on your assistant a lot more than the other areas. But that could be another you know, area where I don't know. There's also two options, right? You start yes. guy A or guy B. And right now, you start Cam Talbot or you start David Riddick.
0: But and and you know you said earlier you shouldn't make decisions based on fan input, and I agree with that. If you know, I I said on the last episode of King's Talk, if I were head coach, and I'm not, for right. a number of very good reasons, I'd go with the hot hand. Mm-hmm. So the hot hand is David Riddick. Yep. If David Riddick isn't the starting goalie on Saturday, and it's entirely possible he won't be, yep. both have had, whatever, 10 days off, Um, I think that rightly or wrongly will be received well or poorly, probably based on results more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're at a point now in the season where... Only until, though, Cam Talbot plays and wins.
1: You, well, but you that's know, what I'm saying. Yeah. If,
0: if Cam Talbot starts, there'll be a number of people who question it. 100%. And if he wins, then those people will... Eat crow and... Yeah, or they won't. Or they won't. Or, yeah. <laughs> but, but no one will pay it any mind. But if, he, but if Riddick starts and plays the way he did against Nashville, I think that's a pretty loud statement. Um, in favor of David Riddick. And and to be clear, Cam Talbot, everybody agrees, Cam Talbot earned that all star appearance. Like he was oh, for sure, lights right? out for the yeah. first two months. It's just another area where this team is. And it's so, sorry, I'm just rambling at this point. It's so difficult because Rob Blake was correct when he pointed out the record and said a number of times we are a playoff team, mm-hmm. but also correct when he said, you know, it's.
1: Dennis not good enough we could do this whole <laughs> podcast in Dennis's assessment which yes. is this is a playoff team that's not playing like a playoff team right and you can't discredit the 50 what is it six points in the bank because those are there if they lose every game the rest of the way they will still have 56 points yep. and they were as of today a playoff team um the Kings won't win three of 17 the rest of the way they probably won't go 11-0-0 on the road the rest of the way so like It's somewhere in between. It's just a matter of which team are they more? Is it what we've seen of late and this team's going to struggle down the stretch? Or are they more like that team we saw earlier in the year that was pretty darn good? And we're not going to know for a bit the Kings could win against Edmonton. They could go to Buffalo. They could win. They could go to New Jersey and win. And they're still not out of this, mm-hmm. right? Winning three in a row doesn't absolve any issues. They have to win eight of 10 or eight of yeah, 11 yeah. And, you know, or and seven of 10. Or we, we'll know when we know.
0: you know. Rob like, Blake said it's a wins and losses thing. And for the next 14 games, I think it is. And to be clear, that's when the trade deadline comes. I think for the rest of the year, So here's why I is. disagree. And I'm going to reference Bernstein and Hovind's podcast directly. Because I was listening to it this morning on Double mm-hmm. Speed so I could finish it before I came into work. And Dennis said something that I've spoken with him privately and I completely agree with him. And I mentioned it earlier in the year and everything. This is a team that was built for April. And I don't mean built for April the way we used to say that about the Daryl Sutter, Dean Lombardi team where it was like, they're built to compete in April. I just mean the, uh, the ultimate evaluation of this team, this management group will happen after the season. Yeah. Whatever happened, however long, however deep, The postseason is for this team so even if they do go on an incredible run and you know fight back into like let's say they finish second in the division somehow if they're first and out Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter right if they sneak into the eight seed barely make it go you know 550 the rest of the way but make it because st louis and nashville because frankly this is
1: shaping up like a one of those years where a 92 point team makes the playoffs
0: if, if it turns out that we're the Florida Panthers from last year... Right. ...where you're one point less than the team that didn't make it in the other conference, but you make a run to the final, this entire conversation is moot. 100%. Um, the problem is we're sitting here watching the team today... Yes. ...and it's not moot. It's totally relevant. And I'm going to
1: guess that the, <laughs> all the Panthers-Cats podcast... Right. <laughs> at, ...at some point last year was sitting here having the same conversation... Because the team didn't look very good. Right. Now, there's, right now, no signs to suggest the Kings will be that team yet, but we've got however many... There never are, though. There never are. There can't be, because we're not having this conversation if things look really good, and they don't right now. I think when you did your mid-season of Val, or, you know, recap with, sorry, Mm -hmm. your quarter season with Jim and Nick, it was how colorful, how bright this is. Those are the things you're talking about. (laughs) But then now things have changed and you couldn't have forecast this stretch coming. How could you have? And yeah. you can't forecast winning 14 of 17 right now, because how could you have watched the last 17 and think that that's what's coming, but you don't know until it happens. And I think that you're right. Ultimately what happens in April and hopefully beyond is where this team will be judged, but you have to get there. And that was a point brought up during the preseason available for Australia where someone said, is the goal this season to win a playoff round or two? And they said, no, the first goal is to make the playoffs because you can't do any of that until you make the playoffs. So this team right now has to make the playoffs. Then when they're in the playoffs or if they're in the playoffs, they have to go and they have
0: to do it there. By Rob Blake's own words at his halfway availability in the middle of January, he was asked about the playoffs and his answer was, we have to get better every year. Yep. This team has lost in the first round two consecutive years. Getting better by my measurement is making it into the second round.
1: I think we probably have reached that point, and it's like you can see a a first round loss that is better than last year, but yeah, it does, but it's the same outcome at the end of the day. And I think now, like you, it's it's wins and losses, right? It's four or it's three in that time to get there. It's it's wins and losses, and at that point, it becomes wins and losses. There are better series and better first rounds you can have than last year than the year before. But at the end of the day, if your wins total isn't four,
0: is it a step forward? I I don't think that it would be. The only way I think not getting out of the first round is excusable at this point is if you make the playoffs and after game one, um, a portal to another dimension opens up and the entire team is sucked into it and you have to like ice a team of people pulled out of the stands.
1: Well, if that's the case, I'm ready to go. <laughs> sure. Um, you know, I've been riding the Peloton. But I
0: mean, like, there there are things that could happen that would make a first-round loss excusable, but but they'd be di- – it'd be the,
1: there are There are plenty of things yeah. that would, but mm-hmm. again – I'm not putting them out into the universe, but we all Because know there's too out. many. Like, yeah. there's
0: too many either way, and it, you just – you don't know. All right, before we wrap this up, let's talk about Todd McClellan because um, – Because I think he deserves yeah. a segment – To be talked about um, for what he's brought. I have been doing a podcast about the LA Kings. Started during, I want to say Mark Crawford's tenure. Uh, Then Terry Murray. Then I think, I don't remember who was in between Terry Murray and Daryl Sutter. Because it was a very brief window. Uh, Then Daryl Sutter. Then John Stevens. Then Willie Desjardins. Now Todd McClellan. And now uh, Jim Hiller. I did not have the opportunity to be in the room on a regular basis with any of those coaches until Todd McClellan. Yep. I had an interview to sit down and 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 talk to John Stevens um, and subsequently have had an opportunity to get to know Daryl Sutter, but not while he was head coach of the LA Kings. Sure. So my only head coaching press conference you know, experience is Todd McClellan. And I have to say, I always really admired uh, how important it was clearly to him that the players were human beings. Yeah. For whatever that's worth. That that mattered to me. I think that was extremely important. And I also think
1: that he was a human being himself who realized he was talking to human beings the bulk of the time. Mm -hmm. I think that... There were days like us all where maybe one of us asks a question in a snippy tone or maybe you get an answer in a snippy tone, but that happens to all of us because we're human beings. And I always really appreciated that even sometimes when it was a bad question or a question that maybe Todd didn't want to answer, he would answer it in a way that let you know that he knew you were doing your job and and you needed something to talk about or I needed something to write about. And for the respect that he showed, I think both you and I, for the most part, and for the bulk of the other internal content team and external um but can only speak internally, I think Todd showed a lot of class and a lot of respect and a lot of dignity to us day in day out, and I will always appreciate that from him because I mean, I asked that guy more questions than anybody else yeah, yeah you did, and on that road trip, I asked him questions alone yeah, for right. I felt bad for you a lot of losses, <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, I was never snapped at, I was never pulled aside after, and it was always treated professionally. And I felt that I was almost always treated with respect. And that comes down to how Todd chooses to carry himself in those settings. Um, so for that, I will always respect and appreciate Todd. I hope that what's next for him is good for him. Um, you know, he's a good man, and I think he gave his all, to make it work here, even if it ultimately ended
0: the way that it did. You know what the, the, the moment, and it happened multiple times, the moments that I always had the most affection for him, the the post-game media pool is a, is a diverse group and not a permanent group, right? There's people coming in and out reporters that are there one game, not there for another reporters that are there for every practice and post game. And then reporters who are just sort of air dropping in to get their story and then out and so there would always occasionally there'd be a tough loss. Yep. And there'd be whatever a dozen people in the room and if if a question that had been asked got asked by somebody who should know better. He was more often than not quick to say, "Well, as I've said to some of you 18 times, and you go like, "Okay, whatever." But then there would be a reporter or or someone covering the team who had never – clearly never been there before mm-hmm. or was clearly new to it or yeah. felt out of their element or maybe English wasn't their first language. And they would either stumble with a question or ask it in such a way that it was perfectly obvious that yep. they didn't necessarily know the routine. Yeah. His entire demeanor would change for those people. Even after that same disgusting loss yes. <laughs> that was infuriating, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, I'm thinking of a particular reporter in general, but I don't want to embarrass anybody. But like when that – It's happened numerous times yeah. to
1: numerous people. We both have picked up on it and talked about and he, it.
0: His tone would soften. His patience would, would return and he would give a much nicer, calmer answer. Uh, and then you know, if somebody said, you know, well, who's the goalie for the next game? I'd be like, get out of here! What are you yeah. talking about? Yeah. Um, but the presence of mind in the moment to recognize that not everybody is is playing on the same field, mm-hmm. right? And and treat
1: everybody fairly, but not equally. Right. Was a phrase he used, I think, last training camp. Which,
0: to discuss, for the record, the I don't team. even agree with. But <laughs> but but it was a. It yeah. wasn't
1: just applied to the players. Yeah. Um, because someone like you or myself, who is around most days should know things at a level that someone who is assigned to a game twice a year probably doesn't. And as much research as you can do, and those people clearly had done some to get a question out, it's different. And I think that uh, he treated them as human beings the way that, you know, he always talked about with the players. And it was another side of a man who, you know, you grew to appreciate a lot.
0: The the biggest... I don't say the biggest because I just gave one, but but yet another reason that I admired him. Um, and I think I told this story on on King's Talk, or if I have told it on all the King's Men, I, whatever. You're gonna have to listen to me tell it again. Um, I used to sell shoes at Nordstrom in my early 20s, late teens. I'm and wearing Nordstrom rack shoes, by the way. I, I was going to, but then it was raining, so I threw on my Adidas. I, brought, I know West what <laughs> I wore
1: these in with the intention of taking them off and putting on my Adidas when I got in,
0: but then it wasn't that rainy. Yeah, So well, I just kept them on. I, I didn't want forgot. to roll the dice. But Nordstrom has, I don't know if it's still this way now, but when I was working there, they, they prided themselves on a bunch of standards. And if anyone's ever been a routine shopper at Nordstrom, you know, they will take any return. Not we I don't work there anymore. They'll take any return, even if you didn't buy it there. That was something they hammered into us. And they said, like, I don't care if they bring in a set of snow tires, like, return it. Okay, but the one lesson that I took away from there more than any other was there's a difference between fault and responsibility. And Todd McClellan was asked, I think in the final home game before that three-game trip, if he was concerned that his job was on the line. Mm-hmm. And he could have answered it any of a million different ways. He could have been very defensive. He could have been angry. Could he have been could have a one-word f- no. Yes, or yes, or whatever. Yep. Um, but he spoke about responsibility yep and that to me is really important because it doesn't matter whose fault it is right um ultimately this is a results-oriented business rightly or wrongly and ultimately if it's not if it wasn't his fault and it was somebody else's fault well eventually they'll have to take responsibility for it for right now and i said this the same thing about John Stevens. John Stevens, as far as I could tell from my interactions with him, was a very good guy, mm-hmm. very good coach, couldn't stop what was happening. Not his fault, was his responsibility. Yep. Um, so for Todd McClellan to take a beat to acknowledge that, that really resonated with me. And, and I had gotten an inkling, like I said, I didn't think they were going to do it, but in the back of my mind, knew that it was possible. hmm And was lamenting the fact that if it happens on the road, I wouldn't get a chance to thank him and tell him all the reasons that I admired him. So I guess this is my chance to do that. Um, And uh, like you said, whatever he does next, I wish him the best. Same. I think that was well put. Um, He took
1: responsibility for what happened. There's fault that you could place on the shoulders of a lot of people. And a lot of those people have taken, I think, responsibility for it. Um, as far as we're concerned right now, I think we both you know, really do appreciate Todd as a person and what he brought as a coach. Um, and from here on out, it's not the end of the year. It's the middle of the year. There's a lot to play for. And the team that we thought the Kings could be is still within the range of outcomes, but it's about taking responsibility and correcting things moving forward in order to even have a shot at that happening,
0: yeah, and that's why I find the conversation of fault, generally speaking, boring. You know, it's it's the easy yeah way out, right? It's a conversation for a much later time. Yep. Right. For right now, when you're we, faced with
1: a difficult situation, yeah, it's easy to determine what's wrong. It's hard to fix it, and it's almost kind of the same thing. It's easy to say whose fault it is, or to think whose fault it is. Yeah. But to take responsibility and to fix it is ultimately the hard thing to do, and that's the phase the Kings are in. It no longer matters. Yeah. It's time to start where the fault is. Exactly.
0: Zach Dooley. Thank you very much. We are going to have another podcast later this week. Um, Full disclosure. I had all sorts of ideas and plans for what this week was going to look like as you did too. (laughs) Yours was going to be a vacation. Um, None of that's happening now because of all this. So we'll be back on Thursday afternoon following the Jim Hiller introduction uh, press availability. And if anything else happens, I guess we'll have that. Uh, so thanks for listening, Kings fans, and uh, hopefully the next time—well, I guess the next time we talk to you, there won't have been any more games, so nothing will have changed. But. So the
1: the win loss record will <laughs> yeah, be the same, exactly. um,
0: but we will have heard from Jim Hiller yeah.
1: in his introductory presser, and uh, we'll we'll have more to come. Yeah, thanks for listening,
0: Kings fans.